Yep. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. What's the most you ever lost on a coin toss? Sir? I feel the need. The need for speed. Ow! Good morning, Vietnam! What country are you from? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English in what? 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! All right, all right, all right. These cards are 11th. Dr. Lecter, my name is Clarice Starling. Can I speak with you? The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I must break you. I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. We love some movie characters, and sometimes the best way to get into the characters we love is to dig deep into their motive, their calling, and their sense of self, and talk about what they really, really want. This is Movie Typing, where we engage and unveil the intentions and drive of the greatest characters on film. My name's Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado. With me is T.J. Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and personality typing expert. Hello. Boss, we are joined by the great Daniel Mothershed again. Oh, today, this is the Daniel. sound of my voice, say on the other podcast. Daniel is a uh, actor and playwright in Denver, master of all things Muppets, <laughs> which will be helpful today, because today, t- this is our Christmas rhythm, is it not, TJ? It is. We like talking about Christmas movies, which is interesting for someone who hates Christmas. <sighs> a lot of Christmas movies are about people who hate Christmas, which... Is helpful. That's true. I've been shown a lot of Christmas movies with the attempt that I'll sympathize with the main character and then <laughs> come out of the end of the story with a love for Christmas. So other than A Christmas Carol, what do people assume you might empathize with? Oh, no. It's just all different versions of A Christmas Carol. Oh. Over okay. and over and over again. I mean, The Grinch, It's a Wonderful Life. James Caan from uh, Elf. Hallmark ping- has basically made 90% of their business off of that. Exactly. My favorite would be the penguin in uh, Batman Returns on this front, but, you know. Solid. That's a solid <laughs> pull. Yeah. Solid Christmas your, movie. Your father, who is Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> that is a, that is a sweet, like, I always forget that that's a Christmas movie, because it is, like, really mm. a Christmas movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's two types of Christmas movies. It's the, it's a Wonderful Life, 34th Street you know, Christmas story kind of movies. And then my favorites are definitely more in the line of Gremlins, Trading Places, Lethal Weapon, and of course, Die Hard, which is the best of all the Christmas movies. Yeah, excellent. I'm on board. That genre of kind of Halloween Christmas mashups, also quite tasty. My three-year-old loves Nightmare Before Christmas right now, so I'm very excited about that. The stop motion on that is gorgeous. Comfort foods for December. Uh, two years ago, we hit Lord of the Rings. Yep. Last year, we hit some Godfather. And this year, we're going to be doing the Muppets Christmas Carol. That timeline feels wrong to me, but I believe you. <laughs> it took us till June <laughs> to do Godfather, unfortunately. But I'm throwing it in there. You kept falling asleep I, and having to start it over. <laughs> some pieces of art, you just got to let them breathe. Yeah, that's fair. The three of us do this where we're talking about movies that no one else apparently on the internet, on the po- in the podcast world, have covered. We're like the only folks who have done the deep dive into Clue, and there's no Muppets Christmas Carol deep dives. Naturally. Are there other Muppet deep dives? Yeah, but they're 
it's kind of like Muppet cast. Yeah, sure. But yeah. I was gonna say they're all they're with Muppet performers. Like they like they're like Disney puts them out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they're they're podcasts and discussions with people who are in it. Like last year for the anniversary of a Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, Entertainment Weekly did a great video series where where Brett Goldstein, aka um, Roy Kent, interviewed the cast of the Muppets about making that movie. This is a good person to bring up because I imagine y'all are about the same ages as he is. And I'm slightly older. I'm se- I'm born in '76. You guys born mid '80s. Mothershed, which birth uh, which birthday? '80s. I, I have made it a point in my life to not release that information. <laughs> <laughs> it's not public information. I imagine you guys are growing up with this movie. Yeah, it creates a little bit more affection. Yeah. Oh yeah. This came out when I was in tenth grade. Oh nice. Not- and did you watch it, or was it like, were, like high school? Were you like too cool, too cool for school for the Muppets, or were you? I, I to be honest, I can't remember when I saw this. I do remember when it captured my imagination and heart. There's a scene where I'm like, "Oh, this is fantastic," but I don't remember where I was. I could totally see it was the case that back in the day, in the '90s, like the that was what you did. Like going to the movies was was the thing, yeah. uh, you know. And so I could totally see myself having gone to see this in the movie theater, but I just don't recall. You guys got a first ex- experience of uh, viewing this movie? No, because I was too young to remember my first. Yeah, I have more of an experience of of remembering going to see Muppet Treasure Island, which came out a few years after that, 94, yep. I think. Um, I, I, I vividly remember both being at McDonald's before going to see the movie and the the toys at McDonald's were Muppet Treasure Island themed mm. and then going to see Muppet Treasure Island. Nice. So I vividly remember that. I don't really remember seeing this one for the first time, but it, but it's one of those things that like it, it has, quote, always been there. Yeah. Historically, this movie is real interesting. This is the first Muppets project after Jim Henson's death, and it's released just like a year and a half after. It's almost like something that's presented as a, you know, a, a love letter. I think to Henson himself. Mm-hmm. Not quite the same sort of energy. This is a. This feels to me like a darker kind of project than much of what Henson did elsewhere, uh, except for Dark Crystal. Dark Crystal feels dark. You no, know, the storyteller is pretty dark. There, there's some, there's oh, some pretty, there you go. there's some pretty dark stuff. I just, I just recently got back from Atlanta, where they have the the Center for Puppetry Arts there, and and it is also the largest collection of Jim Henson memorabilia anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's wild to go through the not Muppets mm-hmm. part of it, and 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 realize how much of what he did was, was like pretty dark yeah. everyone's like oh kids yeah no not really <laughs> what was one of his first shows was like called sex and murder wasn't it, it? it was called, yeah it was called like sex and death <laughs> sex violence and death you can shoot somebody in the face with a cannon when it's a puppet but not you know it's a yeah, person if it's a puppet or a, if it's a puppet or a cartoon deck where his bill just spins around his head <laughs> yeah totally fine this is Brian Henson's first directorial project, and it's dedicated to Jim Henson and Richard Hunt. Richard Hunt likewise dies like the year before this is released. Richard Hunt is another Muppeteer who does Scooter, Statler, Janice Beaker, and Sweetums. Um, Sweetums. <laughs> I'm a big Janice fan. I think Janice is hilarious every time she's on. Janice is a brilliant Muppet. Uh, that would be the the blonde and the uh, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, which is the best-named band in the world it's so good and I, I would highly recommend the disney plus series about them it is mm. it is the best muppet thing to come out in 
I'd say 15 years, yeah. and one of the few Muppet things that Disney has put out that really feels like the Muppets. Yeah. Like, they actually get it on this one. Well, because, and I think the thing is they invited Muppet performers to come in and write it. Right. So Bill Beretta, who's been performing Dr. Teeth for since Jim Henson died, is one of the showrunners and head writers on the show. So it's like, oh, right, this is the Muppets. It's yeah. got that feel, which Disney has lacked. It's in my queue. Speaking of music, music here in this movie is by Paul Williams. This is essentially a musical. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, Paul Williams wrote Rainbow Connection and Together Again and lots of the famous Muppet Moving right tracks, along. Right? Uh, and this is the first Muppets movie since 1984, so there's like an eight-year gap. Uh, the only Muppets project they do really is Muppet Babies, which is animated. You know, between eighty four and ninety two, so I th there I I get the sense that there was some energy here when when I saw it. I know it was like, oh, we're jumping back into this world, and it was different. You know, that was my experience because I had seen. I mean, I had seen Muppets in Manhattan in the theater also. So, and Muppets movie was part of my childhood. And I also think it's like. In in a way of sort of honoring Jim and and doing something that like this is the first time they've done something in a really long time. They they chose something that is classic and well known and like like Muppets Treasure Island. I really enjoy, but it is much more silly because yep. like the the source material it allows them to be a lot more silly and and like it it's it's. Treasure Island is sort of goofy. A lot of their other projects are really goofy, especially the stories that they're telling of classic literature. They make them really goofy. And this is one of the few that I feel like it it took its job seriously. Like, we need to do a good job telling this story, and also there's Muppets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, it's a really nice way to sort of honor Jim Henson and the seriousness of the work that he did. Right. Which is to be silly. Treasure Island feels more like a Muppet show sketch. Yes. Yeah. Like a, or like a Mad Magazine yeah. parody. Yeah. Than... I'm sure we can read back into this, but like there are some silly moments in this. But I get the sense that all these people are still grieving and that grief kind of comes into the the movie. Yeah. Like the, the tone just has like when they decide to go sad with Cratchit, for example, I mean, it's very sad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and said like the theme of death, which which I don't know that I really think about the Christmas Carol and the theme of death, but that's clearly all over that yep. piece of literature. And it's it's so much of a a UK Christmas tradition versus over here, where because mm. every every Christmas Doctor, I know I'm the only one here who watches it, but like every Christmas Doctor Who episode is always kind of a horror show is mm. something terrifying happening and and that is a the the, the UK Christmas t tradition of scaring the crap out of children <laughs> which which I love it. and that's why that's why it's a go it's actually a ghost story and I think sometimes I think sometimes we kind of forget that a Christmas carol is a ghost story right. because it's so much about everything else but when you read the book which is fine but like the book is really a ghost story right and this movie does it Better than a lot of the other movies out there. Uh, yeah, we can. I mean, we can name some uh, Hamlet and the Ghost, and uh, I'm sure there's lots of ghosts. I'm sure going through Patrick, the catalog. Patrick Swayze. <laughs> <laughs> that joke works on two levels. 
We'll get into this. The, I really wanted to nerd out on Muppets for 10 minutes, and I'm drawing the line on this. So we need to do a quick through or else we're going to get overwhelmed. But to, to just quick ask you some questions about Muppets. Uh, Muppets that you have affection for. Which which Muppet, when you come to the Muppets, do you have the deepest affection for? Like the, I, I resonate with Kermit so much so uh, in so many spaces of my life. And like watching him on screen, I'm just like, that guy gets it. <laughs> <laughs> you got one, uh, Mother Shed? Yeah, I got. Well, I got two. What I've always loved Gonzo. Like I've just, I've just always loved Gonzo. I got to see a Gonzo puppet in real life last month, and I'm glad nobody else was around because I absolutely teared up when I saw him. Yeah, you like did, it was right? just. I mean, you know, because I tell you both know because I told you, but. Yeah, he, real life he's, it's different. I'm sure. I could talk for a long time about see, seeing a lot of the Muppets in real life because it is wild because they are so lifelike on screen and it is the people that perform them. But when you look at them, you're like, this is foam and ping pong balls. Yeah. But yeah, Gonzo has always been one of my favorites. I think I've always kind of related a little bit to Gonzo in in his in his kind of sort of sort of sense of not really belonging places and being a little out like the kind of the odd man out of the group but also hoping to find kind of that place so that, and that's we'll probably talk about those themes here yeah. in a second yep. uh, and then also Fozzie I just love Fozzie because because yeah. he's so funny and so sad but that but he keeps trying and that's what I love about Fozzie yeah, yeah. love that uh big Statler and Waldorf fan mostly because they remind me so much of my dad's dad mm. I, I never I never really had a connection with with my dad's father but his sense of humor is all over those characters mm, so sure <laughs> kind of slightly distant making fun of the things keeping things light and and upbeat and, and yet kind of if you look past the curtain, it's real cutting, you yeah. know. At times, you're like, oh, that's that was that was severe. Um, those two I, are br those are brilliant characters. I also, I, I yeah, special mention of those because I, I especially like me and Daniel being friends <laughs> and being at basically anything. <laughs> you beat me to it. Like we we have <laughs> been compared. We have compared ourselves, and we have been compared by multiple people to Statler and Waldorf because we're we're basically standing in the back making fun of what's happening. Yes. And that's that's true for almost anything that we're ever at, like not not just performances, but parties and like just standing in a room where there are other people. We are the Statler and Waldorf of that room. Yeah. Best Muppets joke. One of my favorite jokes of all time. Always. I mean, it's going to be there. Yeah. No, it's Go actually ahead. a Fozzie joke. Do it. Uh, it's the the monologue. Uh, it's one it's one of his monologues. And I actually love this joke so much that I want to make sure it gets into the podcast, which means I'm going to play it so that we all can hear it right now. <laughs> okay, time once again for that furry, fuzzy, funny man, fabulous, freewheeling, fast and frantic, Fozzy Bear! Hey, 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 hey. Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so fast. Tonight, I am going to use your assistance. Oh, yeah? Yes, sir. You and I are going to tell the world's funniest joke. Uh, this right? is all spontaneous, unrehearsed, right, Froggy? It's unrehearsed, yes. Okay, okay. Now, frog of my heart, yes. you will just wait until I say the word here. When you hear me say the word here, you will rush up to me and say, Good grief, the comedians are bare. Good grief, the comedians are bare. Check. When you say the word here. Right. Gotcha. Okay, here we go. Ready? Okay, here we go. Now then, 
Hiya, hiya, hiya. You're a wonderful looking audience. It's a pleasure to be here. Good I'm... grief, the comedians are there. <laughs> you just said here. That was the wrong here. Which is the right here? The other here. Sure. <laughs> go, go, go. Hey, hey, folks. This is a story you're gonna love to hear. Good grief, the comedians are back! <laughs> what you said here? Not that here! No wish here! Another here! What am I gonna know? You know what you hear! Good grief, the comedians are back! <laughs> all right, all right. Listen, yes. you will know when I point to you. <laughs> all right, don't grumble. <clears throat> Say, a funny thing happened to me on the way to the theater. At the stage door, I passed a bunch of Muppet fans, and suddenly I hear... Good grief, the comedian's a bear. No, he's a nut. He's a wearer in a necktie. Did you understand that joke? No, but I don't speak Italian. <laughs> Oh, that uh, just <laughs> and mother shed is crying. <laughs> it's so it's funny, so funny. And I think to to be really nerdy about this, the 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 writing is great. Obviously, like the just the setup and the build of of Fozzie's frustration and poor Kermit's frustration. <laughs> um, but that if you were to if you were to talk about the Muppets to somebody who'd never heard of them and you had to say in the context of the Muppet show Kermit is the stage manager for this theater and 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 Fozzie is the MC and he's there and what is the two of the those two characters relationship yeah you could play them this and this, this says yep. every single thing you need to know about the relationship between Kermit and Fozzie and how Jim Henson and Frank Oz work together yeah it's it's perfect you got a favorite Muppets joke I I have I have I have many and I'm and all sure a little too involved, but the two <laughs> that I'm gonna say are just one-liners. Um, one of them is in a Muppet Treasure Island, uh, and it's it's a it's a Fozzy moment where for for whatever reason they've decided to have him have like an imaginary friend that's inside his finger, and when they realize that the entire crew is like reprobates and pirates and roll call, Long John Silver. Aye, aye, sir! Shortstack Stevens. Aye. One-eyed Jack. Aye. Black-eyed P. Yeah. Wall-eyed Pike. Aye. Old Tom. Aye, aye. Real old Tom. Aye. Dead Tom. Aye, aye. Clueless Morgan. Huh? Headless Bill. Headless Bill. Gentlemen. May I see you in my cabin immediately? Mm-hmm. Who oh. oh, hired this crew? This is undoubtedly the seediest bunch of cutthroats, villains, and scoundrels I have ever seen, so who hired them? Kermit's so frustrated. He says, who hired this crew? And everybody looks at Fozzie, and then Fozzie looks at his finger, and he goes, your finger hired the crew? No, that's silly. The man who lives in my finger hired the crew, Mr. Bimbo. So good. <laughs> so dumb, so good. And my other favorite one is in a Muppet movie. It's the best sight gag I think I to that point had ever seen, where he says, "Turn at the fork in the road." Sure, and there's a massive fork. fork in the road. I just remember, <laughs> remember just being a little kid and being like, "Yes, oh yeah, that's funny." I get why that's funny. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> like so funny and so stupid. 
so mm-hmm. much of their great, great comedy is just so stupid, and it's so funny. My my favorite element of the Muppets is their spastic, almost maniacal energy that comes out when they're in a crowd. Mm. When they all are screaming together, or they're all laughing together, <laughs> or they're all partying together, and just all the energy there is always my favorite. And so when they would do those ballroom scenes in the Muppets show, my favorite joke is everybody's talking, everybody's talking, and then somebody yells, Quiet! And Janice keeps talking, and she says to the person in front of her, Nobody, I don't take my clothes off for anyone, even if it is artistic. <laughs> yeah, laugh every time. I think about yeah, it. she's so funny. Uh, lastly, which uh, which Muppet do you, do you think most re- resembles you? Like this is this is the 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 Muppet that I'm most like. Res- like resembles us physically or like uh, character inter- traits like, and <laughs> your inner life is uh your inner life and motive since this is a motive podcast sure Stadler and Waldorf <laughs> <laughs> yeah great that, TJ took mine <laughs> you guys could do I suppose you guys did say that earlier I'm I'm a mix between uh Sam and uh which is the eagle and who is and, definitely a one yeah just to and, put it out there <laughs> And I am absolutely Kermit. I'm the straight man. I, in my own story, in my head, I'm the straight man that walks in trying to bring order and get everybody to move forward and just am failing at it most of the time. And uh, the slightly frustrated, idealistic person. Look at that. Uh, hey, my, my real answer, publicly like publicly and at stuff, it is definitely Statler and Waldorf. But I do feel like when, when I'm on my own, like internally it is, it's, it's the two I mentioned. The, it's, it's Gonzo and Fozzie. Those are the two where I'm like, I'm, I relate so much to both of those guys. Mm-hmm. You want to get into this movie? <laughs> yep. Well, we're going to begin with the introduction of the narrators, which is going to be the Gonzo, the whatever. And the great. The rat. I I want to make special mention that there there are a handful of really great jokes to help put us into the like we need to know what universe we're in. Yep. And they do this really really well in just panning the marketplace. Well, that was a fine meal. Yes, it was, wasn't it? Yes. Where should we do now? Let's have a lunch. Oh, good idea. What the hell, you villains? They are being stolen. We need to understand that we're in 1800s, dirty, nasty London, and there's merchants on the street selling whatever they can. And also, there's Muppets. There's something about, like, if you were to say, what are the shared, if you had the Venn diagram, what does Christmas and Muppets share together? Mm-hmm. There is, like, there's something about, I don't want to call it dirty side, but the the frantic side, it, the joyful side, there is a melancholy side, um, there's a nostalgic side, as we've, I mean, that's all we've been talking about for the first 30 minutes here. and. It, that gets pictured in these little snapshots yeah. so well. 
when I, I mean, I've seen this movie many, many times, but I, but I intentionally rewatched it this morning. So it would be really fresh in my head. And the first thing I thought in that, like TJ said, when, when it that just pans in and you see the streets and you see whatever is the first thing I said is, gosh, this feels so handmade. Yes. And that's a thing. I, I think that is a, that can be a Christmas thing if it's done right. And I think that's such a Muppet thing. I mean, like, and, I said, and so much of the, the handmaidenness is about setting the stage as though it's actually a stage, which is great because this book is is so often turned into a. a there's so many different stage productions of this, and if too you're, many, if some might say yes, agreed. If you're gonna see it at Christmas time, it's very likely that you're gonna watch a live version of it on stage, and the way the Muppets film their this at least this particular adaptation is like it's very stage production design and even even with a christmas carol in general dickens did write the book but it had a huge life after he would go on tour and perform it sure. himself mm. i mean he would he was a theatrical guy too mm -hmm. uh interestingly enough on this front uh the studio was shocked when they saw how much it cost to make the movie it was apparently <laughs> vastly under the budget that they had prepped for sure because they had 90 percent of the Puppets. They just put different clothes on yeah. them. But for that reason, I mean, it's just foam. Just. Narrators. Well, there's something there about philosopher and me just uh, peaked up when you, you said that, you know, everything that we experience that has vast and, you know, unending meaning, you could probably say, well, it's just. Mm -hmm. you know, the ocean is just so many millions of gallons of cold salt water, you know, or something like that. But it's, it's not just terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you another thing you share with TJ is yeah, the I know. Fear, fear of the sea. Yeah, I tuned out when you said ocean. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, we begin with the narrators, Gonzo and Riso the Rat are introduced. Gonzo. Hello! Welcome to the Muppet Christmas Carol. I am here to tell the story. And I am here for the food. My name is Charles Dickens. And my name is Rizzo the Rat. Hey, wait a second. Uh -huh. You're not Charles Dickens. I am too. No, a blue furry Charles Dickens who hangs out with a rat. Absolutely. Charles Dickens was a 19th century novelist. A genius. Oh, you were too kind. Why should I believe you? Well, because I know the story of A Christmas Carol like the back of my hand. Prove it. All right. Um, there's a little mole on my thumb and, uh... A scar on my wrist from when I fell off no, my no, bike. No, 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 don't tell it. It's just a good little bit. Yeah, it's, just, it's a bit. Yeah. It's a bit. It's not the first Aladdin movie. I don't remember which one it is, but there's a great Robin Williams genie joke where he does that too, where he's like, I know there's like the back of my hand. Oh, that's new. <laughs> don't tell us your hand. Tell us the story. Oh, oh, thank you. Yes. <clears throat> the Marleys were dead to begin with. Oh, well, pardon me? That's how the story begins, Rizzo. The Marleys were dead to begin with. Oh. As dead as a doornail. It's a good beginning. It's creepy and kind of spooky. Oh, thank you, Rizzo. You're welcome, Mr. Dickens. Well, as we go through, we're going to hit each of the Muppets, their place in this story. But what's interesting about our deep dive into these characters is that the Muppets have a personality type, and they are playing characters who likewise would have a personality type. And sometimes those might overlap. Sometimes they might be distant. But Except Rizzo, who is... Always Rizzo. Yeah, Rizzo. <laughs> is, and the only one in this entire show that is just playing Rizzo. Performed, I believe performed by Steve Whitmire in this movie, who's also Kermit. Oh. Well, we'll start with Gonzo. Gonzo is one of the, I mean, one of the three. Kermit, Fozzie, and Gonzo seem like they have that kind of central 
triad. Mm -hmm. This is the only character that we typed ahead of time, but we're going to talk Enneagram. We're going to talk about uh, personality typing. And I want to say that all of us uh, off mic have spoken of Gonzo as a four. Fours are... Mm -hmm. Romantics, yep. but and Daniel identifies himself as a four. What what do you see Daniel in this character that that popped for you when you were typing him? I'm going to begin this by saying I am nowhere near qualified to do a lot of personality typing like these two gentlemen are. But what I do know and love talking about is myself and anything that reminds me of myself. So, <laughs> therefore, qualified to talk about Gonzo the Great. Um, I did not type him as a four. Uh, necessarily based off of this particular film, but just just as as a lifelong lover of Gonzo. Um, and the things that I think I relate to the most in Gonzo is is that the kind of there's always kind of a feeling of otherness that I feel like Gonzo has, whether it's just the fact that he looks different than all of the other Muppets. He 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 is not. There's something in him that, it, but there's also the internal thing in him that he feels separate from everybody else. There's he he's got a beautiful song in the first Muppet movie where he talks about not fitting in where he is and the hope of that maybe that's out there somewhere and maybe one day he can go there. And that song just makes me just cry. It made me cry as a kid. It makes me cry as a grown ass man in his thirties. Um, it's, it's gorgeous. And that hits something in me of, of like, man, yeah, that's, that is the goal. And that is the, the dream. And, and also he's such a, um, he's such a performer and such a showman showman. But I think so much of that is with the hope that if I wear this thing, if I do this thing, if I perform this act, um, maybe that'll kind of take care of this emptiness in me. Maybe it'll 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 finally ingratiate me in these, and I won't and I won't kind of have this outside other feeling, which which um, I I have always related to and uh, love. I wish I had a coat of silk, the color of the sky. You're you're talking about the wishing I song, wish right, Daniel? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. So I think it's called "I'm Going to Go Back There Someday." Yes. And uh, he's. He's singing about how he wishes he fit in and, yeah, and he wishes that people like him. And mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it's, to me, that song encapsulates so much about fourness. Like gives us the picture that we need to understand Gonzo as a four, especially because he's singing this sad song about how nobody likes him and he wishes that he could have the things that other people have. And then someone interrupts him and says, oh, but I like you. And he says, okay, great. Can I finish my song now? <laughs> <laughs> like, like he does not want to be pulled f away from that sadness. He wants to experience yeah. it because it's like this is the space where it's real. And he's content with that. Yep. Because, I mean, it, it is that song where, it, I mean, it ends with him saying he's happy to be him. Yep. And that and, and, and that means the melancholy stuff, the sadness, the whatever else. It's like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm okay feeling yeah. like this. This is part of who it's I am. It, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it can get, <laughs> to, to not talk about the Muppets, talk about real life, that can swing way out of balance. But, you know, for the most part. <laughs> I think this is correct with Gonzo as a four. And as you're talking, I'm like, the the thing about the melancholy in Gonzo, it's expressed differently than the melancholy we see in Kermit. Yes. Then we see in Fozzie. Yep. Then we see in Miss Piggy. And it's almost like all these characters all have that gear 
at some point that they're going to, they will show you their, their heart in that way mm-hmm. from it's not easy being green on the Kermit side to Fozzie on stage, just absolutely vulnerable. And, uh, the sadness that can come from just not getting the, the audience. Ex- except with Fozzie. Fozzie yeah. doesn't know. Gonzo knows. Yeah. Kermit uh, knows. Yep. Fozzie thinks no he's idea. killing yeah. it. Just <laughs> pushing through? Yeah. Or yeah. just oh, oblivious? Fozzie thinks he's great. Yeah. <laughs> and Fozzie going to tell you that he's doing a good job, too, because he's going to, you know, he's going to reframe all that. It's excellent. Um, well, then there's Riso. This is a great pairing. Like as a, you have the voice, it's not voiceover all the time. These, I don't know what you call that sort of character that's a narrator who's in the movie, but is kind of invisible. The, and more so, they're kind, they, and they sort of function in that role in Muppet Treasure Island too, but they're much more part of the story in Muppet Treasure Island. Whereas mm-hmm. with this one, they're really sitting outside yeah. of the story. And every yeah. once in a while, throwing, throwing something in. Yeah. Right. Because it like T, like TJ said, it does feel like a play. Mm-hmm. Like like when you go and see a stage, some stage versions of Christmas Carol will have a narrator that's totally on the other side of the stage, looking into the action mm-hmm. and commenting on it, and that feels like this. Yeah. And and they've they've just taken a step further of they'll talk to them as well. But yeah, the the only character that I could I can kind of think of, and it actually may have a very similar feel. To Christmas Carol, it comes out of Dante. It's Virgil is taking Dante through, you know, the circles of hell and showing him things that are, you know, here, here are images of things that are are dead, mm. you know. And there's like a meaning that's supposed to wash over Dante and the reader. And that it actually, as I'm saying this, it, that's what it feels like. Christmas Carol kind of is. It's I'm gonna I'm gonna lead you through through these times. Christmas through is hell, times. folks. You heard it here first. <laughs> is that what you were saying? <laughs> That's it. We're done. <laughs> Riso ends up being the comic relief, though. It's a, uh, I mean, to uh, again the British side of this. There's, there's kind of a Shakespearean element here of yeah, keep, keep things light, mm-hmm. but we're, we're going to talk about some heavy things. Yeah. I also think it's a really great way to like, uh, Christmas Carol is not written with a narrator in mind. Like it, it's, it's not a narrator who's telling the audience things about the story like it, it's just the story and so when we see gonzo of all people show up as a narrator rizzo exists to help remind us that gonzo is a character playing the narrator right and it helps us feel like 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 this is the way they break the fourth wall is by having rizzo be the straight man essentially true it also allows for something you don't get in the stage performances is you you can get some of the beautiful language that Dickens mm-hmm. does insert into the written version. Yep. And I, I, that's one of the things I really appreciated upon second or third viewing was, oh, the like when Gonzo starts reciting the text, it's like, wow, that's quality. <laughs> You know, they did not take a ton of liberties with a lot of the text. It's, yeah. it's crazy yeah. in this movie. <laughs> Rizzo strikes me as a, a second, always has a radar for things that are scary and troubling. And uh, that was my only typing of Rizzo. I didn't go anywhere else. Uh, so I'll let TJ comment on that if I'm yeah. on the right track. I am content to put him as a six. 
Yep. Uh, leaning in the more counterphobic side of things. Correct. Uh, and and like you see a lot of really biting commentary. He says everything he thinks out loud. Um, he's he's continually looking for like. There, there isn't outward fearfulness the way that we see with some sixes, but there is a lot of uh, I'm I'm going to jump into this space because yeah, that's where we're at kind of kind of movement and and he's constantly calling things into question. Yes, like he is the one that is the most doubtful about any part of this story. He's like, what? How do you? He's constantly questioning uh, Gonzo slash Charles Dickens's omniscience. So just to uh, quick do the unpacking of that. Uh, for Gonzo, we're saying is that Enneagram 4. Enneagram 4s are attention seekers who are withdrawn, um, solve problems emotionally, want others to feel the emotions that they have in order to solve problems. And uh, sixes are security seekers who earn security by loyalty, have a hard time trusting themselves. And as TJ was saying, often can be kind of reckless in kind of proving to everybody else that they're not as fearful as they are. This is a great little pairing mm -hmm. in terms of uh, the narration. It, it, it creates an energy there because that. of that. And to me, to me, as a four, interesting pairing in general because I think some some of the thinking of sixes I know, then realize none of them are going to listen to this so I can say whatever I want. Um, <laughs> so some some of the not easier pairings and relationships in my personal life or with sixes i feel like i feel like it, there's some difficulty in both parties understanding and believing the best about each other mm -hmm. so the fact that there is that gonzo rizzo pairing so often i think is is super interesting and i really love it yeah, yeah. well the two are gonna introduce us to the lead of the story who isn't a traditional hero and isn't actually even a antagonist uh, or a uh, anti-hero I think I think Scrooge is a villain. Yeah, it's a this is a story about a villain. Yep, one of the rare instances where the protagonist of the story is also the antagonist of the story yeah. at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> the great Michael Caine, uh, a huge list of uh, credits. Miscongeniality, Jaws three, four, is it? four. Yes, yeah, so four. <laughs> <laughs> Italian Job, Victory. Nolan's Batman trilogy, and for for my money, what may be the greatest comedy of the 20th century, which is Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh my God, um, yeah. Not necessarily a typecast actor, a very British actor, who seems to have a, a ton of range. Yeah. I, I have not seen him in anything that I was like, meh, maybe not. <laughs> right. And even if the movie's not great, he's, he's, he's always amazing. Yeah. There's a TJ, have you seen the, the film adaptation of Noises Off? Mm, not in a long, long, long time. It's anybody who knows that play, I think has very strong, sort of not super positive feelings about that film. But he is one of the best comedy performances in that movie in a cast that boasts uh, John Ritter and Carol Burnett. Mm -hmm. Like Michael Caine, I think, is the best performance in that movie. Siskel and Ebert uh, did their review of Muppets Christmas Carol. Uh Ebert Speaking of Sadler and Waldorf. Very, right. <laughs> Ebert was very high on it. Uh, Siskel was not, but quite favorable toward Michael Caine's performance. And that would be kind of case in point. It's even when he's in a bad movie, he's great. Is that you saying this is a bad movie? No, I'm saying that Michael Caine, even when Michael Caine is in bad movies. Okay, good. Blame it on Rio. <laughs> 
One of the things I love, just absolutely love about this film, and, and I think it's it's maybe the sort of the central point of why this film works, is that that like they they told Michael Caine to do it straight. Yeah. Like every other Muppet every other person that interacts with a Muppet, every other, like in every other movie where there are Muppets and real people, like it, everyone is interacting with the Muppets as though they're Muppets. And Michael Caine is playing Scrooge as though he is doing this like on stage in London, like in the West end. Like this is one of the most important roles he's ever, he's playing Scrooge straight from start to finish. Well, and, and it, beyond him being told to do that, that was his that was his decision. Right. Like, I'm going to go do this film and I'm going to treat this like I'm playing Scrooge. Like, I mean, yeah, like TJ said, if he's in like a West End performance mm-hmm. and it's it's my favorite Internet meme about this and Muppet Treasure Island is the one that says the reason Michael Caine and Tim Curry are so good in their respective Muppet movies is that Michael Caine treats the Muppets as fellow actors and Tim Curry treats himself as a fellow Muppet. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the thing that hits me on this front is that the Muppet show is a variety show of the, you know, the classical seventies variety show. And Then they make some movies with those variety show characters. But this movie is a rebrand because never in the Muppet show did you have a villain come and be the center piece. You know, Mark Hamill shows up or Sylvester Stallone shows up or, you know, whoever the famous Willie Nelson shows up. And it's the the famous person is with us. We're going to sing with Elton John. Mm. And John Cleese is going to do a sketch with it. I mean, it's a variety show. It is literally a variety show. But this is a rebrand, yeah. you know. I mean, it's it's the the characters, but when you throw a villainous character in, and you even a you elevate it to a Shakespearean kind of drama, and you you introduce all the melancholy here, it's it's I I I think this is why the the movie really pops for me in in the canon of Muppet films, is that it's so different from everything that had come before mm-hmm. and they really land the plane. Yeah. And where a lot of treatments of stories like this are um, adaptations, this one is, we, we mentioned this earlier, it's so much of the original language and yeah. particularly like every single thing that Scrooge says is straight out of the book. Right. Yeah. Love that. The, I had mentioned it earlier, but the line that sells me on this is they break into song and all of the Muppets have that Muppet energy, that back and forth. Um, they're singing together. And they say, there, oh, there goes, goes Mr. Humbug. There goes Mr. Grimm. If they gave a prize for being mean, the winner would be him. Old and I remember seeing that and going, I get it. Yeah. And I'm in. Yep. I'm just in. Because <laughs> it had the manic energy, and yet it had Kane being so dark and you know and scrooge like and just nailing it and i was just like this is going to be amazing and like there might there might be some actual internal meanness but but the thing i think is there with scrooge and i think a lot of last year i saw five versions of a christmas carol unbelievably too many (laughs) and i already have tickets for two here in denver and that's too too many but um 
a lot of a lot of productions portray Scrooge as just like he's become he's become mean with no choice. Whereas this one, Michael Caine gets it like this guy's choosing to live like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's true. Like he's aware that that song is being sung. Cause at the end of it, he turns around and looks at everybody. Like he knows everyone's like, here comes this giant, awful person. Yep. And right. he's content to, to just glower through the streets of London yeah. being lauded for being a monster. And yeah. I think that is something that is lacking from 99% of the Scrooges that I've seen in film or on stage. Yeah. We, we it, this story is so often told in a way that wants us to feel sympathy for Scrooge because of his tragic past, because of how he got to where he is. But but this this version, which I feel is so much closer to the to the tone of the book, is they they want to remind us that Scrooge chose to get his life to where it's at, and he enjoys. Like he's, he's, his darkness is that he enjoys being this. Everything about Scrooge is choices, right? I mean, like everything about everybody is the choices we make, but like, but that's what's so great about the flashbacks is Mm -hmm. you have to see Scrooge make all the choices that he makes right? as a, as a, as a kid, as a young man. Um, And you have to see him and you almost have to, but you almost have to understand why he made them because his, and, and this movie doesn't lean into that as much as the book does, mm-hmm. but of just how really awful Scrooge's young life was. And, and the, um, the version of the play I saw at the, the Alliance last year, they, they included a couple other scenes in young Scrooge's life, watching bad things befall people who didn't have enough money yeah. in business. So you see why he makes those choices yeah. and you don't, uh maybe you don't necessarily feel badly for him but you understand why he makes them yep. and that's what makes Scrooge's choice at the end of the play yep so he's got to yeah, be a real powerful. ass to, yep. it, throughout the whole thing in order for that switch at the end to punch you in the fields yep. because right. he chooses to 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 get his life together yep as you're talking what was going through my head is that there's only a few characters that the greatest actors in the world want to play they all want to play it so like hamlet is this like if you you if you're the greatest actor in the world you need or like recently a lot of great actors have tried to to jump into the joker role um but as i think through all of the the scrooges like there are some titans who have decided i'm gonna i'm gonna put my energy into into that role Mm -hmm. Jim Carrey being at the top of the list, obviously. I mean, <laughs> get out. No, but uh, in terms Gary of Oldman like, is the best performance in in that yeah. particular movie. But yeah, uh, as you think through Christmas carols, my favorites. I, I grew up with George George C. Scott's version mm-hmm. of Scrooge, and then I think for my money, the most beautiful depiction of this is is actually Disney's. I think that film is absolutely lovely. Oh, um, Mickey's Christmas are, Carol. Yeah, with with Scrooge McDuck as Scrooge. Um, just every, every frame of that is a, is just a little piece of, of artwork. And, uh, and again, I have a fondness for that cause I saw it when I was young, but do you have a favorite Scrooge? Excluding Michael Caine? Cause I'm like, Caine is my favorite, but just for the sake of yeah. discussion, anybody else? Um, P- Patrick Stewart. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good one. Need to go back and rewatch that. And I don't think he does a great job getting the softer side of him. I, I was thinking about this earlier today. Kane gets both. Yeah. 
Patrick Stewart mm. is so, I mean, he's got the best voice in the world. So, and those moments where, where Scrooge is like really fulminating against Christmas, like, are there no poor houses? Are there no prison? Like Patrick Stewart is so scary and good. I don't know that he gets the more tender moments, um, but yeah, Patrick Stewart, mm. uh, obviously Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> <laughs> obviously Bill Murray's is held up there. Oh, sure. Oh, of course. But Bill Murray's is entirely about comedy. So like that. That one's a little different. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Susan Lucci version. Yeah, yeah. There's a deep cut. This is <laughs> yes. She she was in a, a, a adaptation that's just awful. Like it's very Hallmark movie soap opera e, and it's it's <laughs> it's great. I really enjoyed watching that one with my mom when we were younger. Oh. Uh, but I, I nothing compares to Michael Caine to me. I am glad you brought up Bill Murray though, because that is a that movie is an accomplishment. I think. Yes, I think Bill Murray does a beautiful job, even though it is all about comedy. I think he still gets the 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 deep isolation, loneliness mm-hmm. in, oh, yeah. in Scrooge. Like he pulls that off, and that that might just be Bill Murray, but but it's it's if it ain't broke, <laughs> right? Well, we're introduced to the character. He enters his uh, collecting house. Let us deal with the eviction notices for tomorrow, Mr. Cratchit. Tomorrow's Christmas, sir. Very well. You may gift wrap them. I think think just to backtrack, the really good introduction to the character, and it's been so long since I've read the book, I can't remember. The first thing we see him do when he goes into the county house is point his walking stick at somebody and say, what is this? And he physically... (laughs) throws this Muppet out of the building. He was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Bob Cratchit? Yes, Mr. Scrooge? Who is this? It's Mr. Applegate, sir. He's here to speak to you about his... Mortgage. Please, Mr. Scrooge, I know you're very angry about this, and I didn't mean to fall behind in the payments. Lord knows it, being Christmas and all. Oh, please don't shout at me, sir. That and, of course, little Gwen. Her lungs aren't right. The doctor takes his share, don't he? I mean, you can yell and scream, and you're right, but it won't do no good, because I'm the stone you can't squeeze blood from, and that's the truth! I'm the stone you can't squeeze blood from, and that's the truth! As he's getting thrown out the door. The thing about Scrooge, just to go into this character for two seconds, this is one of the few characters that's almost an archetypical character. Like it's the 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 word Scrooge is part of our vocabulary yep. now. Um, I was reading one writer says uh, of this character as Don Quixote is the archetype of the foolish idealist and Hamlet of the vacillating intellectual. So Scrooge is the archetype of spiritual miserliness of the heart that begrudges the joy of others. Indeed, one mark of his archetypical status is the fact that his name has entered our language as a generic term of abuse. Woo! <laughs> Isn't Ebenezer, like, biblically, it's like a pile of rocks or something like that? Or stones? Or am I... Eb- uh, Webster's has it as a commemoration of divine assistance. Which I also think is interesting because, you know, one could argue Scrooge gets divine assistance. Right. I mean, divine yeah. but otherworldly assistance in this story. is I think that's really, I just, I'm fascinated by that. Yeah. Marker of memory. 
would be kind of all over the story in some ways. Mm-hmm. That's good. I, I hadn't thought about it either of those. Um, when we've talked about Scrooge, TJ and I have routinely referenced this character, archetypical character that he is, as a great example of a villainous five. Um, we've paired Scrooge with characters like another British character, uh, paired him with Smog from The Hobbit. And that that image of, it's not just greed, but it's that form of avarice where I hoard at no benefit to myself. Mm-hmm. I hoard for the sake of hoarding. I hoard even knowing that my hoarding causes misery for others. And that image, spiritual miserliness, I think is a great phrase for that particular type of villainy mm-hmm. that the five who hoards and because they hoard is in control and now you won't tell them what to do. They're going to the low side of their security number. That that that's all over this character. Yeah, seeing seeing money and resources as a zero sum game. If if you have some, that means I don't have that. Yeah, and so I, I have to have all of it in order to make sure that I'm protected. I don't know if I agree that it's just hoarding it to hoard it. I think so much of it for Scrooge is coming from not having it himself. And seeing how harmed everybody else who hasn't got money, food, resources is, I think that is the motivation behind his. Maybe it's not by the time we meet him in a Christmas Carol, but I have I have no reason to doubt that it starts with with him seeing, this is what happens to people in this world who haven't got it. Therefore, I'm going to do every single thing I can in my power to make sure that that does not happen to me. Yep. And then slowly that pushes everybody out of his life. And then he yep. just decides. I'm okay with that because now I have the things that I see prevent po- quality of life yep. in, in his mind. Yep. This is a good place, I think, for us to release the audience into watching the movie. It is. We're releasing this Thanksgiving 2023. We'd love to invite you to watch this movie. We're going to come back next time and do the deep dive into all the characters, all of the, the beats of the film, and uh, just going to love the hell out of this journey. It would mean the world to us, as always, if you share this with somebody you love, preferably somebody who is at home or just getting off of work from the mad Black Friday and needs some comfort, needs some 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 good comfort food to, to watch. And uh, that's what I got. Uh, Daniel, you got anything to, to sign us off here? No, just, uh, just that uh, I think this is one of the, not only the greatest Christmas Carol adaptations, but I think it's one of the best Muppet pieces of art that exists uh and and yeah it's, it's really enjoying talking about it and yeah see y'all in 89 minutes after you've watched <laughs> a muppet christmas carol the full version with the with the song that's yeah. the last thing i'll say watch the version that has the when love is gone song with bell cut from it because it's they have to youtube that one no no it's on disney plus you can watch the you can watch the extent you can watch the the, the full version on disney if you go to extras oh. and the full version of it is there yeah and there's I a widescreen version and a full version and you want the yeah. full version you yeah. have to deal with the black bars on the right and left it's fine and it's fine but but that is so gorgeous and i think it with in in the way that songs do what just words and speaking cannot that's a huge part of Scrooge's story, particularly in this film. So I think you, I think you have to see that in order to get the rest of the movie. So um, less light uh, of an ending and more of a command, but you're welcome. You can see Michael Caine cry, <laughs> <laughs> and, and therefore so will you. That's, uh, yes. That's how that works. Yep. Unless you're yep. made out of stone. 
You got anything Ebenezer. to add there, TJ? Nothing to add to that. He's Statler. He's Waldorf. My name's Jeff Cook. Who you want? Just as an interesting. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! To infinity and beyond! Why so serious? I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Sure. Oh, 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 oh.